Well, it's happened to me on more than one occasion, and I can't help but imagine many of you have probably been there too. You're speaking with someone, and you mention that you're a Christian, and the person that you're speaking to responds by telling you that they're Catholic, and then they follow up with a comment that goes something like this. No big deal. After all, we both worship the same God. The underlying thought, of course, is that there, there's no real difference between us. We're just walking up different sides of the same mountain. Well, if you're like me, then on those occasions, your brain kind of goes into overdrive, desperately trying to work out what to say, wondering, are we both the same? Suspecting not, yet not wanting to cause offence. So in the end, just choosing to simply smile politely. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Well, how different it is from, say, when my parents were young. And for my, for my mum growing up here in Sydney in the 40s and 50s, there was a definite Catholic-Protestant divide. The two rarely mixed, except to call each other names or throw stones at each other. For my dad, growing up in Northern Ireland... There was little chance that Protestants and Catholics would conclude that we're all just the same. So as Protestants, how ought we think about the beliefs of our Catholic friends and family members, some of whom are regular members of our own church? And if that's you, then I want to stress from the beginning of today's talk just how welcome you are in this church. And I hope that you find today's talk respectful and I hope it helps you understand something of where Protestants are coming from. So let's get started. I guess the first thing we can say about Catholics is the fact that there are lots of them. In fact, it's estimated that there are something like 1.3 billion Catholics worldwide. Uh, according to the 2016 census, about 23% of Australians describe themselves as Catholic. That's, what's that, about one in four. So it makes sense that we try to understand what Catholics believe. But it would be a real mistake to think that all Catholics believe the same thing. Because just as there's a wide spectrum of belief among Protestants, the same's true for Catholics. Although the church has its own official teachings, there's a wide variety of beliefs and attitudes among both the clergy and church members. There are the ultra-conservative Catholics who still believe that church services should only be said in Latin. There are mainstream Catholics who were baptised and married in a Catholic church but who are often willing to ignore the church's teachings on certain issues such as contraception. There are an increasing number of charismatic Catholics there are also a large number of liberal Catholics, you know, people who are they're quite sceptical about the Bible and traditional Christianity, but they're really big on social justice. And then there are nominal Catholics, people who, who call themselves Catholic, wouldn't dream of being anything else. After all, it's part of their family and their, and their culture, but who rarely go to church and don't really know what the church teaches. So as we start to think about what Catholics believe, we have to realise that that 
depends on which Catholic you happen to be speaking to. But for the purposes of today's talk, we're going to focus on the official and authoritative teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. We're going to think about what they believe. And significantly, Catholics and Protestants actually believe a lot of the same things. So, for example, uh, Catholics believe in the Trinity. Uh, they also believe that, that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, that he is holy and loving. They believe that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. They believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God. They believe in the virgin birth, the incarnation, the resurrection, Christ's ascension into heaven, his future return in glory. They believe in the same Holy Spirit and other key doctrines as well. Now, besides theology, Protestants and Catholics also agree on many ethical issues, like abortion and euthanasia and marriage. That's a really good thing. It means that we're able to work together for, for the betterment of society, actively countering secularism and moral decay and the like. Yeah, Protestants and Catholics actually have a lot in common, and that's a good thing. But there are also some significant doctrines that, that Protestants and, and Catholics disagree on. And I, I want us to look at, at four of them today and think about why they matter. So firstly, the Mass. The Mass. Now, the Mass is at the very centre of Catholic devotion and worship. What is the Mass? Well, it takes place in a Catholic church service and it involves a sacrifice. Uh, the high point being when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit on the bread and the wine, turning them into the actual body and blood of Jesus. You know, though the, the bread and the wine continue to look like bread and wine, with the ringing of a bell, they're said to become the very body and blood of Jesus. So we're in a, a Protestant church like ours. Uh, the Lord's Supper is essentially a remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The Mass, in it, it's a renewing of Christ's sacrifice. That's why in the Mass, the bread is called the host, which comes from a Latin word meaning a victim. And significantly, this sacrifice of Christ can't be offered without a priest because only he has the authority to forgive sins on God's behalf. And so, according to official church teachings, and I quote, the Mass may properly be offered for the sins, punishments, satisfaction and other necessities of the faithful. In Catholic teaching, uh, the Mass isn't a separate sacrifice from that of the cross. Rather, it's, it's the same sacrificial offering to, to God uh, now made present to those who participate in it. And through it, God is appeased. But it's clear that this teaching is very, very different to what the Bible says. For starters, uh, the New Testament is clear that, that human priests can never mediate in the process of salvation. Why not? Well, because they themselves are sinful. They need saving. You see, that, that was the whole problem with the Old Testament priests. It's, and it's exactly why Jesus came 
as our sinless high priest to do what sinful people couldn't. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're told, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. You see, Jesus is the only priest we need. In the same way, there's no biblical merit for the doctrine of transubstantiation. That is the idea that the bread and the wine turn into Christ's literal uh, body and, and, and blood. When in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He was speaking figuratively in the same way that he also called himself uh, the door and the vine and the light and the gate and, and the good shepherd, among other things. They're, they're meant to be understood figuratively. When Jesus said to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he was calling on us to believe that his death, the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood is what pays the full penalty for our sin and makes us right with God. And that's why he instituted the Lord's Supper or, or Eucharist, because he didn't want us to forget the very core of what we believe. So we don't need to re-sacrifice Jesus week by week. No, when he cried out from the cross, it is finished, in John chapter 19, Jesus meant it. It's also the point of Hebrews chapter 10, which says that where sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So that's one belief that Catholics and Protestants disagree on, the Mass. Next, let's think about the doctrine of salvation. And, and it's important to understand that when it comes to explaining salvation, uh, Catholics and Protestants often use the same words, but with very different meanings. And that's particularly true of the words justification and grace. Now, for a, a Protestant, justification is a one-off event. You know, on the day that you put your trust in Jesus, God declares you justified, a sinner, cleared of all guilt. But in the Catholic view, justification isn't an event, but a, a, a process, one that starts with baptism and continues throughout your life. The Catholic churches teaches that to become more righteous over time, we, we need to cooperate with God's spirit. We need to do good works. Then on judgment day, we'll be judged in part by what Christ did for us on the cross but also by whether we have become sufficiently righteous in our own character to warrant salvation. If not, then the process can be continued after death in a place called purgatory, where sinful people are, are purified, and only then can they go to heaven. When it comes to grace, a Protestant might define it as uh, God's unmerited favour towards sinners, but for a Catholic, a grace is something given to a believer so that that process of justification can continue. And it's a, a partly merited gift. You know, it comes from God's kindness, 
but it also requires the cooperation of, of both the person and the church. And so, for example, you can earn God's grace through participation in any of the church's seven sacraments, um, including baptism and confirmation and the mass and marriage. Uh, grace can be earned by going to a priest and confessing your sin and, and then, importantly, you making up for it by doing the good work or, or penance that the priests tell you to do. For example, you might need to say certain prayers or, or deny yourself some pleasure. And by going to, to special masses, then you can even earn graces for relatives who have already died to help them get out of purgatory faster. But what does the Bible say about salvation? Well, it's clear that justification isn't a process but a once-off event that guarantees our welcome into heaven on Judgment Day. So, for example, Romans chapter 5 says, Since we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, it's a verse meant to give us assurance of salvation from the moment we put our trust in Jesus. We've been justified We've been declared righteous in God's sight. But sadly, in, a Roman, in Roman Catholic teaching, you can never be sure of your salvation. As for purgatory, well, it, it's simply never mentioned in the Bible. In fact, pur purgatory is a doctrine that assumes that the death of Jesus is not enough to cleanse us from our sin. But do you remember... Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. He, he, said, he said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This was not a good man Jesus was speaking to, but a criminal. Yet there was no need for him to go to purgatory to pay for his sins. Clearly, faith in Jesus was all he needed as for uh, grace, well, the Bible speaks of it as, as something that we can never earn. Now, you don't get grace by participating in the sacraments of the church. You don't, you don't get them through penance. In fact, you don't, get, you don't get grace through any human effort. It's simply an undeserved gift of God. As Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so we're in Catholicism the formula goes something like this, grace plus enough good works leads to salvation. In Scripture, the formula is unmerited grace leads to salvation, which leads to good works. With good works being our thankful response that we are saved, not the way in which we earn salvation. Well, next, 
We come to one of the most obvious differences between Protestants and Catholics, and that is the Catholic's devotion to Mary. You know, walk into any Catholic church and she will feature prominently. Ray Galea, a pastor and former Catholic, writes, it can be hard for non-Catholics to appreciate just how precious Mary is to many traditional Roman Catholics. In fact, while having a personal relationship with Jesus is considered a bit odd by many Catholics, having a personal relationship with Mary is not. Significantly, the Catholic Church doesn't pretend that its various teachings on Mary are explicitly found in the Bible. Rather, it just formally acknowledges as authoritative the traditions that have been built up over the centuries concerning it. So, for example, there's Mary's perpetual virginity, uh, the idea that she never slept with a husband, Joseph, even after Jesus was born. Her uh, perpetual virginity is seen as a sign of her total devotion to God. Catholics are taught that when the New Testament speaks of Jesus' brothers, it is in fact really referring to his cousins. Uh, Mary is also considered by Catholics to be the mother of the church. You know, that makes her a little bit like a, a heavenly spiritual mum who, who you always want to please they tell her their problems and ask her to intercede for them with a son. So you see, she, she's a special mediator who stands between us and Jesus and, and represents us to him. Also important for Catholics are the doctrines of the Immaculate Conception of Mary and the Assumption of Mary. Let me explain. Uh, the Immaculate Conception of Mary is, is the idea that God prepared her to, to bear and raise Jesus by removing her sinful nature from the moment of her conception. And the Assumption of Mary is the idea that at the end of her earthly life, she was taken up into heaven and exalted by God as queen over all things. But the Bible paints a very different picture of Mary. Though it's clear that, that Mary was blessed to be Jesus' mum, she is in every other way a, a normal believer. So whilst Mary gave birth to Jesus as a virgin, she then went on to have normal marital relations with Joseph. So Matthew chapter 1 says, But Joseph did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. In terms, in terms of the word brothers actually meaning cousins, well, that's not a particularly convincing argument, uh, given the fact that the word cousin is used elsewhere in the Bible. And it makes sense of, of why Jesus' brothers are always mentioned as being with Mary rather than some auntie. Now, if anything, that the New Testament warns against giving Mary too prominent a place. You know, when a, a woman in a, in a crowd yells out to Jesus, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you, Jesus responds by saying, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I mean, it would have been the perfect opportunity 
for Jesus to affirm the high place of his mother in God's plan. But he doesn't. Now, the fact is, as lovely as Mary probably was, she wasn't without sin. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. And Mary knew that too. That's why in her visit to Elizabeth, she referred to God as her saviour. Because she knew that she needed one just as much as anybody else. And sadly, the whole idea that we should go to Mary to plead our cause assumes that we've got a God who is stern and and doesn't want to hear from us or doesn't understand people like us. But Jesus does get us because he's been where we are. It is the exact point made in Hebrews chapter 4 which reminds us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, friends, in Jesus, we have a mediator and a friend to whom we can go for all our help in times of need. We have a God who cares and who invites us to speak to him directly. Finally, let's think about the doctrine of authority in Catholicism. In other words, what believers are to base their beliefs on? Of course, for Protestants, we believe that God reveals his will through the Bible. But according to Catholicism, God reveals his will not only through the scriptures, but also through tradition which is why the Catholic Church happily holds to many doctrines that aren't mentioned in the Bible. Significantly, the the Catholic Church also claims the God-given authority to determine how to interpret the Bible and which traditions ought to be upheld and how they're to be understood. Throughout history, under the leadership of various popes, many distinctive Roman Catholic doctrines have emerged long after the first century, long after that time when the apostles wrote the New Testament. You can see a few notable ones up on the screen. But because of the church's claimed authority, if you want to be an obedient Catholic, then then you need to be obedient to the official teachings of the Pope and his bishops. That means that if there is some contradiction with the Bible, then you have to go with what the Pope says because he's got ultimate authority. The Catholic Church teaches that, that as the body of Christ on earth, it is infallible and it's teachings without error, ever. Which means that by definition, the church cannot be reformed because it can never revoke something that it has already declared infallibly true. But of course, when the Bible speaks of the church as the body of Christ, it also speaks of Christ being the head of the body. And the body 
needing to submit to the head. But do you see? That, that's impossible if the church closes its ears to the possibility of being corrected by God's unchanging word. The Bible is meant to be a plumb line for our lives, a standard by which we, 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 that we keep coming back to time and time again, aligning our lives to. After all, it contains everything we need to know regarding how, how to be saved and how to live a life that pleases God. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, From infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Of course, that's not to say that some parts of the Bible aren't harder to understand than others. And yes, there is great wisdom in listening to the, the thoughts of, of Christians throughout history. But at the end of the day, if we simply read the Bible in context, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll find the meaning perfectly clear. All we've got to do is stay humble and keep coming back to Scripture and asking, what does this say? Have I actually understood it correctly? What we mustn't do is hold to man-made traditions and put any authority above God's word. So there you go. Hopefully you can see that, that yes, Catholics and Protestants actually have a lot in common. But hopefully you can also see that there are lots of differences too. Leaving us with the, the question, does it really matter? Well, friend, I, I am of the firm, firm opinion that, that, yes, these differences actually do matter a lot. Why is that? Well, I think that all of these wrong doctrines ultimately do the same thing. They sideline Jesus and replace him with, replace his work with human effort. Here, let me explain. Think about it. In the Mass, in the Mass, human priests, not Jesus, are needed to mediate if we're ever going to be forgiven. When it comes to salvation, our own human efforts, not just Jesus' death and resurrection, are necessary for us to merit the grace of God and become sufficiently righteous in his sight. With the doctrine of, of Mary, we see a lovely but flawed human being put in the place of mediator, replacing our one true sinless mediator, Jesus who cares for us and who understands our needs. And in the matter of authority, we see a human institution claiming an authority equal to that of Christ himself and in actual fact exercising an authority that's even greater. And so, yes, the differences are big and, yes, they do matter because ultimately Catholicism does the very same thing that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? 
They took themselves, took for themselves the place that belonged to God alone. And so ultimately, Catholicism distorts the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that we are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, as revealed in the Bible alone. Can a Catholic be a, a truly saved Christian? Well, yes, of course they can. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus alone for salvation is a true Christian. But out of love, I have to encourage any Catholic who's done that to seriously consider whether they should remain in the Catholic Church. At best, hearing a steady diet of Catholic teaching has the potential to, to rob you of the, the wonderful assurance of salvation that faith alone in Jesus offers. And at worst, it will lead you away from the true Jesus and his finished work at the cross, and it will lead you to put your trust in human traditions, traditions that have no power to save. Friend, if you are a Catholic, I really hope you'll hear this in the love with which it's meant. If you've got questions or concerns, please, please feel free to reach out via the email address up on your screen. And let me also recommend this book as a resource. In fact, I recommend it for, for Catholics and Protestants alike. Nothing in my hand I bring, written by Ray or a former, former Catholic. It's a, a compassionate look at the differences between Catholic and Protestant beliefs. And I've relied on it heavily for today's talk. For those among us who aren't Catholic, let me encourage you to, to take opportunities to dialogue with the Catholics in your life. How can you do that? Well, to finish, let me offer you five very, very brief tips. Firstly, be kind. You know, I'm so glad that we've moved on from the days of name-calling and stone-throwing. I'm sure we all are. Instead, let me encourage you to build genuine friendships with Catholics through which you can respectfully dialogue about the issues that I've raised today. Of course, that doesn't mean going in all guns blazing, expressing your outrage, your anger at the Catholic Church. That's never going to win anybody over. Instead, be kind, pointing them to Jesus and the amazing grace that he alone offers. Secondly, secondly, don't assume that all Catholics are the same. You know, as we saw earlier, different Catholics believe different things. So that means, first of all, asking them what it is that they believe and then listening to what they have to say with interest and then using that as the basis of your discussions. And don't be surprised if you actually know more about the official teachings of the Catholic Church than many Catholics do. Thirdly, thirdly, identify with Catholics. After all, there is so much we have in common. So use it as a common launch pad to talk about the true gospel. When you hear a comment like, oh, I guess we're all the same, aren't we? You know, try to take it and use it and lead the conversation towards questions like, so how's your relationship with God going? 
Does he feel like a stranger to you or a friend? Are you you looking forward to Jesus' return? Do you reckon he'll let you into heaven on judgment day? And since we both believe in the inspired word of God, why not invite a Catholic to read the Bible with you? You know, I reckon there'd be heaps of them open to doing exactly that. And then just let the powerful word of God speak for itself. Perhaps you could read through a New Testament book like like Hebrews or Romans. Or maybe you could use a study book, like just for starters. That'd be an excellent way of clearing up concepts like justification and grace. Fourthly, be patient. You know, it's been said that Catholicism is often much more about belonging than believing. Most Catholics were born into a Catholic family, and that's something that's been passed on from generation to generation. And so when a Catholic ends up trusting in Christ alone for salvation and leaves the Catholic Church, they're often seen to be rejecting their family and culture. And that's no doubt going to be a barrier to belief. So be patient in sharing the truth and help them to find belonging in the Christian community. And fifth and finally, and most importantly, pray. Pray, pray that God would give you courage and opportunities to share the gospel of grace with the Catholics in your life. Pray that he will open their eyes and then trust Trust the gospel to do its powerful work when you share it faithfully. In fact, let's pray for our Catholic friends right now, shall we? Let's pray. Well, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus died on the cross to wash away our sin once and for all, to give us the free gift of salvation. Father, we're sorry for the times we've trusted in ourselves rather than in Jesus alone for that salvation. Please give us opportunities to share the true gospel with our Catholic friends and family. Help us to do so in a way that communicates genuine love and compassion. And may you use us to reach many Catholics with your wonderful gospel of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.